Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. I want to thank you guys for inviting me to come and talk to you. Uh, let us pray. Father, I just thank you for this moment. I ask that the Holy Spirit lead this lecture today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, give you a little bit of background about myself. I was born in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I was born during a time where we were segregated as far as school was concerned. I went to an all-black school. And um, things were a lot different than they are now in Virginia. And as an African-American child, I was ashamed of my history. I knew that I had a great-grandmother who was a slave, but nobody would want to talk about it. When I asked the information about my great-grandmother, I was hushed. And so I grew up ashamed of the history. So how many of you know that God has a plan for your life? And we might not be ready for that plan, but when God is ready to give you that plan, no matter what you're going to do, you're either going to do that plan or you're going to suffer the consequences. And my consequences came when I moved to Springboro, Ohio. I moved there about 25, no, about 30 years ago. And Springboro was a small farm area, but it was predominantly white, but they had really, really good schools in Springboro. And I had two young sons that my husband wanted to raise in that area. And I fought him all the way. But anyway, one day we were in downtown Springboro and they were having this festival. And I kept looking at the festival and saw these people running. And I realized they had a lot of Underground Railroad history. And so they were having an Underground Railroad festival. And when they saw me and my family, they hopped on us because when I moved there, we only had about three African-American family in the community. So they were looking for somebody to play a runaway slave and they were looking at my husband and he had a fused anchor and he told him no, he couldn't do that. Then they looked at me and I was like, oh no, don't you even think about it, you know? <laughs> and so when they asked me, I immediately like, no, no. But I had a young son, his name, he, he was five years old. And as soon as I said no, that boy looked at me. He said, well, mama, how come you tell us to do things, stand up for what is right and you want? Now, my first thought was, boy, who you think you're talking to? <laughs> and then he kept on. And I kept like, okay, Brendan, shh, shh, you know, trying to hush him up. And he would not let it go. But I did. At least I thought I did. And I couldn't sleep. And I kept hearing that boy say that. Why do you make me stand up for things that are right and you won't? And that edged at me. And so one night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I said, okay, Lord, fine. If this is something that you want me to do. I'll investigate. So I had an aunt that lived to be 102 years old. And I called her and I asked her, what information can you give me about my great-grandmother? She didn't know any either. She knew her name, and she knew when she was free. Virginia um, lost a lot of their records because of the Civil War and Virginia being, uh, Richmond being burnt down. That's where all the records was at. So I couldn't find a lot of information about my grandmother, but they wanted me to write a story. 
And um, my grandmother's, my great grandmother's name was Charity. I had an aunt Charity that was mean that I told her her name did not fit her. <laughs> and I refused to name my character after my aunt Charity. I named her after my grandmother who was Sadie. And Sadie was created. And uh, I was doing it in Springboro for a couple of years and then the Freedom Center opened and they asked me to come down and do a performance there for the weekend and then they asked me to come back the next weekend and the next weekend. And I finally said, wait a minute, I'll work full time. When is this gonna weekend gonna end? And they said, well, we want you to come here and stay. I'm like, well, I live in Springboro, 45 minutes away. I don't wanna make that drive every day. But they made it worth my while. And that was in 2004. The, Spring, the Freedom Center opened up in August of 2004. I came there for a weekend in October of 2004, and I'm still there today. So I found my calling. Something that I thought, that was a disgrace, has finally become a blessing. Excuse me. So, I started today talking about the history of slavery. There's always been slavery in the world. We know that the Israelites were enslaved when um, they did not listen to God and the Egyptians enslaved them. The difference in that slavery, even though their slavery was harsh and they were cruel, they got to go home to their families. Can you put up the slide where I have um, the map, the first map? Yes, thank you. When you look at the map and you look at Africa, I want you to understand how big Africa is. That map does not describe the largeness of Africa. Africa is so huge that you can take all of the United States, put it in Africa twice, and still have room for all of Canada. That's how huge Africa is. The United States, we have states. Africa has countries. This is a continent, huge continent. And people lived on the east and the west coast of that continent. People even enslaved themselves. The Africans did enslave each other because they were fighting for that rich land. The wilderness was in the inside of Africa where somewhere uh, is the garden of eating, you know? So the only difference in Africa's slavery was that when they enslaved each other, they were fighting for the land. Anybody that was left alive that lost the fight, they automatically became um, slaves of the people that won the fight. As a slave in Africa, the only thing you couldn't do is practice whatever religion you believe in. And believe it or not, the majority of the Africans were Muslims. That came from Ishmael. When he was kicked out, he went to Egypt. And but they did believe in different gods. They might have believed in a sun god or a moon god or something like that. So if you believed in the sun god and the tribe that one believed in the moon god, you can no longer worship the sun god. You had to worship the moon god. And you were a slave for seven years. After that, God said everything would be renewed again. It would be completed. All of your debts were paid. You had nothing after seven years. Why can't we do that here? <laughs> So, but anyway, 
First country to invade Africa to take people out was the country of Portugal, then Spain, then France, then Denmark, and uh, England came last. When they left the continent of Africa and they crossed the Atlantic Ocean, that was called the Atlantic uh, trade, um, the uh, transatlantic trade slave, or the Middle Passage. Once they left Africa, they ended up in Brazil, nothing but sugarcane plantations. If you were a slave that was sold in Brazil, your life expectancy was less than a year. Even though the temperatures were the same, the difference was you were in there from can't see in the morning to can't say at night. Second stop was the Caribbean islands, including Cuba. A lot of slaves sold in Cuba. That's why some of these ball players come over there over here to play ball and they look like the African-American. Those are called Afro-Cubans. And the last uh, place that they stopped was America. And when they outlawed slavery in the north, the ships docked in the Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. It is said behind every slave ship is a school of sharks. The sharks went where their food was good. Why? Did they go behind the slave ships? Can we bring up the slide where the men are on the ship? Because they're packed. You got a ship that maybe can hold 200 people, where they'll put 250 or more. And they packed them like sardines. The men are on the bottom of the ship. You got to realize that in Africa, once you turn 12 years old and you're a male, you become a warrior. You know how to fight. So they're going to chain those men up. They're going to keep them down on the bottom of that ship for 23 hours, letting them up an hour to march them around to make them stay healthy and uh, strong. But at the bottom of the ship, they store food. Where food is stored, you got rats. You got rats down there. You're eating down there. You have the bathroom right where you lay. People are going to get sick. So if they thought you was going to get so sick, they would just toss you overboard. They allowed for that. That's why they overcrowded the ship. The women would stay up on the top of the deck. Because the journey was anywhere from three to six months, the men needed to have an outlet. But if, unfortunately, if you got pregnant aboard that ship, your life ended on that ship. You can't sell a pregnant slave. So that was the journey. And if you can bring up the slide where it shows where the people were sent at and how many were sold out of Africa. These are the countries over to your left. The voyages, the number of voyages. Look how many voyages, Portugal, 30,000 voyages. They transported 4,650,000 slaves across the country. And look at what the type of laborers. When we look at the sugar plantation, the coffee plantation, the mines, the domestic labor, the cotton fields, and all of that, we got to realize they went to different parts of Africa to take people out because these people knew how to cultivate cotton. They knew how to cultivate rice. They knew how to cultivate sugar. 
They knew how to build bricks out of uh, mud. So they got people that were well equipped to do the job. And then people ask all the time, why Africa? Because there's always been slavery in Africa. But look at why they chose Africa. These people were dark skinned. If you look at America and what they say, white is good, white is pure, right? Anything that is dark is evil, am I right? Don't go out at night, there's something could be trouble out there. You know, you get in trouble being out in the night. Anything that is darkness, we've termed as evil. And so they looked at these people, at the color of their skin, and they determined just from their look that these people were evil, they were heathens, and they had no God. But the first slide said in Genesis, God made man, and he made him in his own what? In his own image, after his likeness. And then he said in verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over what? Fish of the sea. Over what? Fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth on the earth. That was supposed to be for the creatures. But when Adam and Eve took a bite of that apple, everything changed and it all became about man. And dominion has taken a hold. We have to be in control of other people. You know, we look down at other people. I mean, if you live in a big house and somebody lives in a project or in a trailer, somehow we think we're better. You know what I'm saying? But God said that everybody was equal in his likeness. But anyway, so we get to America's slavery. And at first they started bringing over indentured servitude. That means that you wanted to come to America because this was a land that was supposed to be a plenty where you could worship God on your own with your own right. And so you might not have had money to come to America. So what you would do, somebody would pay your way and then you would serve them for seven years. Like God said, and then after that, that was the end. Well, three men came, four men came over. Three were white and one was black. We don't know the three white men name, but we do know the black man's name. His name was John Punch. They found out their master was so rough and so hard that all four of them ran away. They got caught. The three white men got whipped and was given an additional seven years to serve. John Punch was whipped and he was given a life servitude. Here comes the beginning of slavery. Then they took the verse from Colossians. Can you read, bring up Colossians? Where it says, Colossians 3, 23, servants obey in all things your master according to the flesh, not with eye servant as men pleasers, but in singleness, sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto your men. So this is the sermon that they would preach to the slaves. How do you keep a warrior? How do you make a warrior a slave? You dehumanize them. How do you do that? You beat him. You beat him in front of his wife and his children. 
You make him stand outside while you ravage his wife. You might sell his children away. You keep telling him he's nothing. You hand him food when he's hungry or you make him starve. And you make that person feel so low about himself that the only thing he can do is depend on you. And you make him less than a man. And that was done in this country to make these people slaves. But even though they use God's word to bring them down, the people use God's word to bring them up. Because even though they were in the fields, they still had a song in their heart. You haven't realized how uh, rhythm we are? It's because we was in those fields singing. And then the songs that we were singing, they thought we were singing about Jesus and we were singing about running away and they had no clue. <laughs> I mean, look at the song, Swing Low, Sweet, Ch uh, Sweet Chariot. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A man of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me. Now, everybody in the world know that that song is talking about going to heaven, right? But in the fields, the Jordan was the Ohio River. And once you cross that river, them angels were the conductors and abolitionists that was going to get you to the promised land, Canada. Now, while they were still singing, they were getting baptized. And they were singing that song, Wait in the water. Wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's going to trouble the water. Yes, my sisters, we got this young woman, and she's going to be baptizing God, and we know she, we're going to make her a good Christian, right? Yeah, you're coming out of that water baptized, but you also know that water means the dogs can't hear you. The dogs can't smell you if it's raining real hard or if you're in deep water. So songs like that and let my people go. We were singing in the fields and we did it with rhythm while we were working in those fields, you know. That, that rhythm is what kept us working. What were their field hands like? What did they have to do? Tobacco was number one. Tobacco was, bought, was already in America. We didn't know anything about America until we came here and we met the Native Americans. They bought tobacco into play in the, in the you know, they had to smoke the peace pipe. And remember that other pipe they were smoking? That was from here. Okay? And so <laughs> with the peace, I get confused with that peace pipe. But anyway. So anyway, we would sing songs that had hidden messages. And that was what it was all about. When we think about the Underground Railroad, let me ask you a question because I get this all the time. People coming into the Freedom Center asking, ma'am, could you tell me where you have the Underground Railroad? Um, there was no such thing as an Underground Railroad. Well, that's what I learned about in school. I even had a man to call me to tell me that his teacher told them that the slaves had built a tunnel that went all the way to Canada. They put train tracks and they put a raft with a pulley. And then when the slaves want to run away 
they would open up that tunnel and the slaves would pull them to Canada. I say, sir, first of all, do you realize from the Ohio River to Canada, that's over 750 miles, that they're going to have to be pulling that slave on a pulley? And you think they're going to get that done in, in 24 hours? And he said, do you mean my teacher were lying to me? No, not really lying. Jadish didn't know the facts. And the facts are that the Underground Railroad, the term underground meant it was a secret hidden in plain sight. They use the railroad term as the secret codes, station house, where you could go and stay and get a secret asylum. Conductors, the people that move you from station house to station house, and the songs. And, uh, you know, we sang a lot of songs that had hidden messages in them. And so the people were hidden in plain sight. You would go to one person and they might send you into Indiana to get your freedom. Well, you might meet another person in Cincinnati and they send you up to Columbus. And you meet another person, they sent you where 75 is, but that wasn't 75 then. So depending on the person you met, determine how far it took you to get to Canada. Now, why the Freedom Center is right where it's at? Because that whole area was called Little Africa. Do you know that during the 1800s when slavery was there, nobody wanted to live on the river? The reason why, the river smell. When we look at the river now, it's wide and it's really deep, and I would suggest you don't get in there. Have you been to the zoo to see the catfish that came out of that river? It can swallow a human being. That's in that river. It scared me to death. But anyway, let me get back to the story. <laughs> so, but anyway... During that time, the river wasn't as wide as it, or as deep, so in the fall and the winter time, when they would run, because they ran when the nights were longer, fall and winter, the river would either be frozen or it would be so low that you could actually walk across it. In person of my tall statue, it might come up to my knees. You know, so somebody taller than mine, they can really get up there and go. We've had so many stories about slaves that ran away when the river was uh, frozen. But anyway, little Africa was where free African-Americans live. The Ohio River was the dividing line. Anything south of the Ohio River was slavery. Anything north of the Ohio River was freedom. But Ohio became a state in 1803, but in 1804, they made black laws. Why? A lot of African-Americans living in there. Little Africa was one community in Cincinnati. Another community was called Bucktown. And Bucktown, if anybody know anything about Cincinnati, is right where um, Central Parkway is. That was the Erie Canal that ran all the way up to New York. And right behind that was another African-American community. So the African-American community where Cincinnati was at, they worked off the river. And the job was pigs. Slaves and their slave masters from Kentucky would take pigs over into Cincinnati and they would be slaughtered along that river. Procter and Gamble, everybody know who Procter and Gamble is? They would come and get the pig fat and they would put it in the ivory soap. That's why ivory soap used to flow. God, I hope they don't still use that because it still floats. <laughs> but can you imagine that pig fat clogging up your skin? Oh, but anyway. 
So they fought for that job, and who they fought against was the Irish, because they figured that anybody that came over from Ireland were criminals. And that is why you have more policemen that were Irishmen during that time, because they made them control their people. Take that. <laughs> and so they would fight over that job. And so Ripley, Ohio was very, very instrumental in the slave, uh, um, as far as the Underground Railroad. Uh, Reverend Rankin, he was a minister in Tennessee. His mother raised him to be anti-slavery. He used to preach, preach anti-slavery slogans, uh, sermons in Tennessee. That went over so well that he was kindly asked to move to Ohio. <laughs> where he moved to Ripley and he established an underground railroad network. Also, John Parker. John Parker was a slave from uh, Virginia. His father was white. His father was the master. And his mother was promised that he would never be sold. But we believe uh, John Parker started looking like his father. And he got sold when he was six years old. He kept running away. And he was eventually bought by a woman who hired him out because John Parker was a blacksmith. That's a good trade to have. And that means you can make a lot of money off of that slave because that slave can not only be working for you, taking care of your horses, but they can take care of the other horses in the area. And so that is a valuable slave. So he earned money for his mistress, and she in turn gave him a percentage of it, believe it or not. That was a woman. It wasn't a man. Just saying. But anyway, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, he saved all of his money till he was able to buy his freedom and he moved to Ripley. There was no pictures ever done of John Parker because he had a thousand dollar bounty on his head. This man was so bold, he would go into uh, to Kentucky and take people out and take them across the river. He didn't wait for them to cross. He went and got them. And so they had a large bounty on his head. But anyway, that's, so those are some of the stories about Cincinnati. Now, Springboro was Quaker. So you could leave Springboro, you could go to Sharonville, somebody would take you to Sharonville. And we had a large conductor there by the name of Van Zandt, and I'll tell you a story about that. And from there, you were going to Springboro. And Springboro, uh, Jonathan Wright was the founder. They have 28 houses that still stand. That had Underground Railroad history. And when I talk about tunnels, they had crawl spaces. They call them tunnels, but they're crawl spaces. These spaces are no bigger than this. So you cannot see them from the outside, so it's hidden in plain view. And those crawl spaces went from house to house or went from the a meal to the church, because what Mr. Jonathan Wright wanted to do, he had an African-American man that lived with him that was free, and this man could learn, that learned, this man knew how to read and write, and when the runaways would come through Springboro, he would let them live there for a while. He wanted them to work in the mills to earn money, so when they got to Canada, they would have money to build their homes. And so he made those tunnels, because if you look at Springboro, you got Lebanon right here, and you got Franklin, Ohio, over here. Franklin was a, a sheriff, and Lebanon was the, uh, the county, and that's where the jails were at, in Lebanon and Franklin. And so whenever they would hear a strange horse, I was like, these people are remarkable, just the sound of the horse, they know that it's a stranger. 
and they would ring a bell and they would get those runaways in the crawl spaces in their hiding places, hidden in plain sight. They can't find them. We even have a story of them did finding one of the slaves and they took him to Franklin and they put him in the jail. And then the people of Springboro went down there and broke him out. The Quakers were really powerful in this. So, slavery went on. And let me tell you about, oh, I forgot to tell you about Ohio, the black laws. Because there were so many African Americans living in Ohio, they made black laws. They said if you were free, you had to have freedom papers. Those freedom papers cost you anywhere from $500 to $1,000. $5,000 to $10,000 in today's money. If you wanted to work on that river killing those pigs, you had to have papers that said that you had a work permit. They were anywhere from $50 to $100. So even though Ohio was free, it made it difficult if you were free. If you were African American, you were free because Ohio really made a lot of money from the slaves in Kentucky. It was just that close. So you had people that made money off of slaves that still lived in Ohio, and then you had people that said, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And so you had that junction. And so Ohio was really a, a state in despair. So, Say I was a runaway. Well, say I wasn't a runaway. I was a free person. I had my freedom papers. But I'm out in Ohio somewhere. And a slave catcher catch me. What could he do with those papers? Rip them up. You had one hour to find a white man that knew that you were free, that could testify on your behalf. Now, you think that slave catcher is going to let you go to find that white man? No. But think about the African-American community. What if I was that runaway that he was looking for? You think he's going to come in that African-American community and try to take me out? No. You're going to have a problem. So we protected each other. We taught each other. We protected our children because we have many, many... Um, stories about kids being kidnapped in Cincinnati and taken over into uh, Kentucky and being sold, and there's nothing they can do about it. So, slavery goes on. And I'm mostly, our slaves are here for King Cotton. But at first, tobacco was, like I said. When we talk about cotton, this is a ball of cotton. And in this ball of cotton are cotton seeds. This is the size of a cotton seed. One of these seeds will make 100 plants. And in this one seed, a ball, is in between 20 to 30 seeds. It took so long after they would pick the cotton for the women, because they would take about 20 women's, put them in a barn to pick out the cotton seeds. It was such a long and tedious job that cotton didn't take off until this man from the north went to teach. And his name was Eli Whitney. And he saw the problems that the women were having picking out all the cotton seed 
and he went back up New York because he said, I would like to make their jobs a little bit easier because he was an inventor. So he went back up north and he invented the cotton gin. Gin is a short term to say that it had an engine. It had an engine, it had a pulley, and it had steel teeth. So you would start that engine, that pulley would start turning those steel teeth, you drop that cotton in without this part. And it would automatically spread the cotton out and the seeds would drop in. This right here, even though this is brown and it's old, it's still sharp. Coming off the plant, it is razor sharp. So as soon as you pull it out, you're going to get cut up. Worst job to be in was the cotton in the rice field. Why? Because you got cut up with the cotton. And why rice? Because you needed water to grow rice. And they would grow rice in the swamp areas. And they would flood those rice fields with that swamp water. In came the gators, the snakes, the leeches, the mosquitoes, all kinds of diseases that you had to deal with. I read a story about Margaret Ward. Margaret Ward was in a, a rice field. And the story goes off that she was, um, how did they describe her? A healthy black woman. That means that she was a big boned woman. And um, they said that she was so black that she shined. That means that she was very, very dark. Beautiful black woman. And then it said that she was to be feared. She was owned by a young girl, and this young girl was married off to a man. A young, puny-looking man, very tiny man. And evidently, Margaret had a presence that she really scared her master. Because one day she did something. Well, Margaret was, worked in the house, and this master had a massive dog, and Margaret was always feeding this dog. But anyway, Margaret did something to make him mad, and he wanted to beat her. And so her exact words, you can try, but I bet you one thing, one of us is not going to come out alive, and I can guarantee it, and it's not going to be me. Now, this was a bold slave. <laughs> so guess what? He didn't beat her. But he did sell her husband. And she was pregnant with a child. And when she had her baby, usually with the baby, they have an older woman that would take care of your baby while you're in the rice field. He didn't do that. He made her take her baby out in the rice field with her. And she laid that baby on a rice paddy. And she said she heard the baby crying. And then she heard it kind of like whimpering. And then she heard it stop and she ran. And when she came back, she found a large snake wrapped around her baby. And she said her first thought was to let that snake bite her baby and then let the snake bite her. But she said something in her grabbed the head of that snake and she got it off of her baby and said she grabbed her baby and she ran. Well, I don't know what it was about this plantation that this man did not think that this woman was going to run. He thought he was hot. she was hiding somewhere. So they didn't even go look for her for almost a week. The dog left. And they, the dog found her, that massive. And Margaret tried to get that dog to go back, but that dog would not leave her. They, that dog know who fed him. So when they realized that Margaret was really gone, 
he sent this slave catcher, and the slave catcher was training uh, dogs to be hunters. But he had one dog that was very, very good, and he sent that on ahead. Well, the dog caught their scent. And as soon as the dog came near, Margaret grabbed a stick, but she ain't had to do nothing. That massive grabbed that dog by the throat and swung that dog. And when that massive let go of that dog, that dog was gone. So they threw the dog over in the uh, river. And that dog followed Margaret all the way up to New York. Her son, the one that she was going to let die, his name was Samuel Ringraw Ward, the biggest abolitionist in New York. Isn't God great? And so those are just one of the stories, but I want to leave you with this story. There was a lady by the name of Eliza Harris. She lived in Dover, Kentucky. She said she had never ever thought of herself as a slave because it was a small farm. And most of Kentuckys had small farms. You know, if they had slaves, they might have had one or two or three slaves. Kentucky didn't really have a lot of, lot of plantations like they had down south. So she said she never thought she was a slave. She said that one winter, it got really, really cold. She said this was a strange winter because of Ohio River froze. Nothing wrong with the Ohio River freezing, we know that. But the river was frozen for over two weeks. No steamships could come down. Slaves were escaping left and right. She still said she didn't feel like leaving. But she said at the end of the second week, she said that the third week, they started having like a spring summer, like an Indian summer, get warm in the daytime and get cold at night. And she said at the end of the week, they were sitting out on the porch drinking tea. Something about that time, they drank a lot of tea. We drank coffee. But anyway, a stranger came by. During that time when strangers came to your house, you fed them, you invited them in, and you might even let them stay with you for a couple of days. Uh, she immediately, Eliza immediately got up and walked in the house to get this man some tea. But she said he introduced himself. She didn't catch his name. But what made her stop is what he did for a living. This man was a trader. And he was there to buy slaves. And guess who he wanted to buy? Eliza. One thing you had to know about Eliza, Malazo was called a mulatto. That means that she was mixed. She was like skin and color said her hair was down to her butt. Very beautiful woman. So he wanted to buy Eliza, and she said she got scared. But then she heard a master laugh. He said, Eliza, never thought about selling any of my slaves, but you know, this year's been hard. He said, I'll sell you, Eliza, but you got to take her baby, too. And then she heard the man laugh. Baby, do you know how far I got to travel, he said. I can't take no baby down south. But then she heard the, her master said, Eliza got a boy. And he got excited. A boy? Let's bargain. Why? Boys were looked at to be stronger than women. Boys were thought to be, this was a man's world, so it cost more for you to buy a boy than it was for you to buy a female. They thought women were weaker. 
and that we couldn't do anything. Wrong. Let's say women were in the fields picking the cotton with the men. They had to pick the same amount as a man did. Some women were pregnant, fully pregnant, picking the same amount of cotton as a man did. And then you would have your baby and two days later be back in the cotton field picking the same amount as a, as a man did. Let a man try to do that. Now you tell me who's stronger. So anyway, they decided to buy this man, this child, and, this, and uh, Eliza, and she said that was the first time she thought about running away. She said she thought that she would have time because this man didn't have anybody with him. But when the bargain was done, the man said, take Eliza and her son to jail in the morning. Tell them to hold them there, and I will come and pick her up when I have my other purchases. Eliza realized she only had that night. She said she went to tell her mother what she wanted to do because she wanted her mother to come with her. Her mother told her that she was too old and that she had enough to worry about with her son. So Eliza said, I dressed myself into three dresses, put three dresses on because it got really cold at night. And I dressed Harry really warm and I wrapped him in a blanket and I made my way to the Ohio River. But she said when she got there, she fell on her knees and she cried out because the river was no longer frozen, but she couldn't get in. There was large ice chunks floating down the river. And she knew if she tried to get in that river, one of those ice chunks could hit her and she would drown with her baby. So she was stuck, she couldn't go back. But she remembered a man by the name of old Mr. Tom that lived in Maysville, Kentucky. She said, if I can make it to his house before daylight, he has a boat, he can help me out. When she got to his house and knocked on the door and this man opened the door, he was shocked that it was Eliza. Told her, you're a woman and you got a baby. What are you doing out here? The reason for that, majority of the people that ran were men. And the reason for that, because women were having babies between the ages of 12, 13, and 11. You were considered to be an adult. You're not going to take no baby with you. But the man could run. So he was surprised to see a woman. And when she told him what she wanted him to do, he would say, Eliza, if you went to that river, you know I can't put no boat in that river. He said, if the chunk hit my boat, we all going to drown. So Eliza said, well, what are we going to do? He said, tonight you're going to rest. Tomorrow we'll move you east. We can't move you across that river until it completely thaws out. She was stuck. Mr. Tom served her tea. She laid her baby by the fireplace, and they talked. About an hour later, she said she heard something and they got really quiet. She heard dogs barking. Her master had found out that she had lost, left and he was after her. She said, I grabbed Harry and I started out of the house and Mr. Tom tried to stop me. And he said, wait a minute, Eliza, we gotta get a plan, where are you going? Eliza said, I didn't think for one second. I looked at him and I said, across the river. And he said, you cannot go across that river, Eliza. If you try to cross that river, you and your baby will drown. <clears throat> Eliza said, I looked him straight in his eye and I said, I would rather drown in that river with my baby than to have him sold away and I never see him again. I'm going across that river. Mr. Tom knew that he couldn't stop her, so he said he would help her. She said, but when he got to his fence, she thought this man had totally lost his mind because he started kicking at the gate. What he did was broke off a pole and he handed it to Eliza. He said, this is what I want you to do. Don't try to, don't try to diverge the ice, jump on the ice. 
And if you fall in the water, the pole will help you stay afloat. Eliza said, I looked at this man and said, are you crazy? Harry can't walk. I got a baby. You want me to carry my baby in a pole? There's no way I can do that. But she said this man convinced her that this would save her life. And so she thought she would pacify him by saying okay and then drop the stick when he left her. She said when she got to the banks of the Ohio River, the moon was really full and she could look across the river and see Ohio. But it's as if it was a million miles away. She said for some reason the water was high and the ice was going down fast. She said I said a prayer. I stepped on that first ice that was right at the banks, and I ran, and I jumped. She says, I never thought about how to jump, never thought about anything. She says, when I jumped on the ice, I was right at the end of the ice. And as soon as I jumped up, the top part of it started coming up, and I started sliding in that water. She says, I made myself get off of it, and so it bounced back. Harry was on it, and I was able to hold on. And she said, believe it or not, that pole kept me afloat. I climbed back on with my baby. Now I'm wet from the waist down. She said, I ran and I jumped. And as soon as I jumped, chaos happened. She said, when I jumped, I knew that I was not going to make it. She says, I hit that water so hard that Harry just popped out of my arms and he started sinking. She says, it was nothing but the God that made her go down there and get that baby and pull him up. She says, but as soon as Harry came out of that water, he started screaming to the top of his lungs. The dog started barking. And she says, I knew at that moment I had made a mistake. She said, God, I do not want to die. And then she said, she heard the men laugh. Don't do nothing. Just wait. Say, this fool's going to drown, and all we got to do is retrieve her body. She got really scared. She said, she kept going. But three more times, she just fell in that water. She said the last time she fell, she landed on dirt. And she started walking out of that water, and there was a man there on the banks of the river, and he held his hand out. And she said as soon as she grabbed his hand, she said safety. But when she looked in his eyes, she saw fear. She realized that man was not there to help her. He was there to catch her. And this man looked at her and said, and shook his head. He said, lady, you are one crazy woman. He said, I watch you. You tried to cross that river with a baby. What is wrong with you? You got to be the craziest woman I ever did see. Eliza said, I had one word for him, freedom. She said, he turned around and he looked at me. He said, well, you don't have it now. Get your baby quiet. She said, it was that time that she looked at her baby and she noticed that his lips was turning blue. Her baby was actually freezing to death in her arms. She said she started rubbing him and started kissing him and started talking to him. And this man started pulling her up the hill and said the tears were coming down because she didn't want her baby to die. She didn't want her baby to freeze in her arms and she was just praying and she was crying. And she said all of a sudden this man just totally stopped. And she said this man looked at her and said, lady, you crazy, but tonight is your lucky night. You just landed in Ripley, Ohio. And up on top of this hill is the home of Reverend John Rankin. Anybody that ever made it to his house has never been caught. I will take you that far, 
but you got to keep quiet and you got to keep your baby quiet because I'm not the only slave catcher in these parts. He took her up that hill and then he told her to go in the gate. He said, there's some dogs, but they will not bark. You can walk in the house and somebody will help you out. And he turned and he walked away. Eliza said, I did not walk, I ran. And as soon as I walked in that house, about two seconds later, two people came down, Reverend Rankin and his wife. Reverend Rankin didn't put a light in that window. He didn't think nobody would be crazy enough to cross that river because of the ice clumps. He was not looking for Eliza. So he wanted to know her story. But when she got to the part about the man helping her, he stopped her. He said, are you trying to tell me a slave catcher helped you to my house? And she said, yes, sir. He was a slave catcher because he was going to take me back. And he got scared. He said, who was this man? What was his name? She said, he never did tell me his name, sir. He said, well, then you need to describe this man to me. She said, when I started describing this man, I noticed that Reverend Rankin started turning white. All she knew is that he had a red beard and he had a big brown hat with a feather in it. And she said, Reverend Rankin said, Chance Shaw, meanest slave catcher in his parts. He's been trying to catch me forever with runaways. He did not bring you here for safety. This is a trap. We got to get you out of here. Reverend Rankin had 13 kids in a two-bedroom house. I don't know how they did it. He called two of his sons down. They started moving her from place to place. She ended up in Sharonville by the man of Van Zandt. Mr. Van Zandt had a false bottom wagon, but he did not put Eliza in that wagon because of the baby. What he did was he gave her some clothes and a pair of scissors. He said, they're looking for a woman with a baby boy. Cut off all your hair, dress yourself in these men clothes, and dress your baby as a little girl. Eliza said, she looked at him and said, what? You want me to do what? He says, I want you to pretend like you're a man, and I want you to portray your son as a little girl. They're looking for a woman and a baby boy. They're not looking for no man and no baby girl. We're going to put you on this wagon and tell everybody that your wife ran and you looking for her. And she left you with the baby. <laughs> That's what they did. And he took her all the way to Canada like that. Mr. Van Zandt tried to do that again. He got caught. He was put in jail. They took away his home, all his property. And his wife and children had to leave the area. He even got kicked out of the church. The church took his name off the road. They said that Mr. Van Zandt was in jail and he was getting very sick. So a reporter went to interview him because they said that he wasn't going to make it. And they asked him, Mr. Van Zandt, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do different? And Mr. Van Zandt said, nothing. He said, I believe that I was born for such a time as this that God placed me here to do exactly what I did. And he said, even though I'm not rewarded here, 
I'll be rewarded when I die. Mr. Van Sant died, and he died excommunicated from his church. So in 2012, we made a petition to the church, and we got his name put back on the honor roll. We found his family who had moved to California, and we brought them back, and the church had to apologize to the Van Zandt family for what they had done to him. Because Mr. Van Zandt said, I didn't do it on my own. I did the will of God. And if you're doing the will of God, then how can the church condemn you? This is just one of the stories of the Underground Railroad. There's plenty, many more. Cincinnati has a lot of history. If you haven't been to the Freedom Center, I encourage you to come down. Because we talk about slavery history, but we also talk about slavery today. That's another hidden in plain view. There are more people enslaved today than there was back during my time, or during the slavery time. Where you could buy a child and put them in a cotton field, a, a young man, for $1,200 back then, you can buy a child less than $50 today. And our kids are being sold at an alarming rate. Our kids, some of them are having an identity crisis and they're running away. And unfortunately, the pimps are right there waiting for them. Know exactly what to tell them, know exactly how to love our kids because we're not loving them right. And then they're making our kids drug addicts and they're putting them out on the streets. Why? because we're not understanding what they're going through. My grandmother used to have a saying that you don't throw out the bath, the baby with the bath water. So what I'm saying to you today is that our kids are in trouble. And they're crying out to us. And they see us as this big religious people that don't understand what they're going through. If you can pick up, put up that last slide. When Jesus came, they didn't know who he was. Some call him prophets. A lot of people didn't know that he was the Messiah. But one of the disciples asked him, what do we need to do? How can we be good? And Jesus said unto them, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second commandment is like unto this, love your neighbors as yourself. And that's hard for us to do. The hardest lesson for me was that verse, before you can judge your neighbor, take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the splendor out of his. God look at sin as sin. He don't care what type of sin it is. A murderer's sin is just as pronounced as somebody committing adultery. He can't look at you with the sin. But guess what Jesus did? 
Jesus came and covered all our sins so we could have a petition to go to God himself through Jesus. And all he requires us to do is to love him and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we're doing that, why can't we say America is really free? Because it's not. We hate everything and everybody. Somebody's got some issue with somebody else. But if we do what Jesus called us to do, I want you to imagine where we could finally stand up and sing that song, Home of the Brave, Land of the Free. I hear that song and sometimes I want to cry because I say nowhere in America or in the world are we free. Not if we are criticizing somebody because of the color of their skin, because of the religion they practice, because they want to say I love the same sex. But Jesus said it don't matter what they doing. We need to take care of us. And if we can love them regardless of what they have, because we all got some hidden stuff in our life, right? Something that we don't tell. That if it was on the outside, we all would be sitting in our house ashamed to come out. Am I right? So, let's do what God has called us to do. Each one of us. If we would make sure that we would treat each other the way we want to be treated, my God, what a world we could have. But I'm guessing that won't come until Jesus' return. Thank you for letting me speak to you today. God bless. <laughs>